I'm Yona, and welcome to the Making a Living from Philosophy podcast. This is our first episode on the reality of focus. And this is the first segment. As usual, I'm here with my lovely wife, Diana. She'll be adding commentary. Obviously, she didn't want to say anything there. Hey Gotta guys. love it. No, no, please don't. Don't let me bully you into anything. Alright. Well, just a brief introduction. This is all about how to integrate philosophy in your life to live a good, happy life. I mean, one of the world's foremost philosophers, Plato, when he finally put some thought to the world where people have souls, his very next question, the second question, after what the hell, you know, he asked, was how to live a good life. So, we're here today not concerned with people, places, things, times, facts, especially not concerned with truth, wills to power, any of that. No divinity, no absolutes, no absolution. What we are concerned with is how we could make our lives better using thousands of years of thought. Thoughts that people organized their lives around, lived and died for, that's got to count for something. And even though when we involve ourselves in finding the truth of these things, or trying to behave in light of these things, we usually aren't successful. We're usually left with more questions. These lives of philosophy, these points that people have made, have to count for something. And they do. They're very, very valuable when you know how to work with them properly. They have so much to teach us. Why are we thinking about focus? Why are we starting with focus? Why focus first? Why focus now? Well, focus is what's going to free us. It will. It's going to free us because all this philosophy for thousands of years has been carried out in the name of truth, the name of purpose, the name of reason. And these things, they're absolutes. They're one or the other. If we go back to the original philosophical mind, the ancient Greek mind, what we find is a struggle to understand which one of two exclusive opposites is the true thing in the world that we're experiencing. Do we experience living through death? Do we experience, you know, death through living? Do we experience good through bad or bad through good? Which one of these things is the whole, is the real, is the truth thing? nothing but the truth. Exactly. And what we found is a lot of conflict and a lot of exclusion. The one thing that we seem to never find in philosophy, and the thing that we're learning to do here, is compatibilism. It's understanding that if you zoom out far enough on our world, on the life we live in, 
all these things that are exclusive that say this is wrong, this is right, or this is wrong, and that's right, they all exist at the same time, in the same universe, with each other, and at times are, for all intents and purposes, the truth and the only truth. And at other times, their exact opposite is the truth and only the truth. So there's this really big problem that we have with truth and absolute. It just never works in the world like we want it to work in our minds and in our theories. And we got to understand our motivation because it's a pure one. That's why we keep living these lives and doing this like that. We have a very pure motivation, and that's to create the good life and be ensured that our answer to the question, what is the good life, is a true, just, and correct answer to that question. Forget about it in that way. We don't want a true, just answer to what is the good life. We want an answer to the question, how do we improve the life we are experiencing? How do we make life better and therefore good? We don't need to secure it forever. It doesn't need to last till the end of time. We don't need to start a family now and a theory that will be carried on for generations and generations as long as people shall live. All we want to do is get a grip and keep it, you know, as much as we can. So that's why focus. There's a really, 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 really weird reason why focus. There are other reasons, but really that's the prime reason. For instance, there's the reason that focus is something that comes with every piece of knowledge, every Thing that is known, everything that is able to benefit you mentally is a focus. And what I mean there is that there is a way of expressing it in terms of its content in the world and its experiential content, the way it's encountered, the way the senses would look at it. Mm -hmm. Most of the time when we run into problems of conflicts, of truths, what we have is a big difference in how the world is viewed before the truth is even constructed. Perhaps when you went to construct your truth, you took for granted that you see objects in this world as always being identical to themselves and changing from moment to moment, but staying themselves. When there's other people in this world who believe that objects are not always identical to themselves, but only identical themselves when actually observed, when actually looked at, and when we're not looking at them, they don't exist in that way. They're in a state of change, and until we take stock of them, we don't know what they are. When I close my eyes, the world around me isn't necessarily the same as I saw it with my eyes open from moment to moment. But if I take for granted that it is, I say it is, well, that could lead me to some really different conclusions. 
for instance, I might be someone who's more likely to accept faith, accept um, religion, belief in a, you know, non-corporeal absolute. Because for me, there's continuity between all the moments. And I don't have to, from moment to moment, look for God, look for truth. Anyways, we're not here to make sense out of that necessarily. Although we will make sense out of that and a lot of other stuff. We're here to understand that a focus is always involved. And when we take focus as our center point, as our point of sense, like instead of truth, which we'll say is the way we've looked at it all the way up till now, that truth is the sense. When we look for proof and logic, we look for true and justifiable proof. It's not what we want. Not now. We want focus. When we look for truth of focus, we're looking for a few things. First, we're looking to see that we've created something that's open to reevaluation. There is nothing in this world that ever came into focus that couldn't be reevaluated or lost focus and refocused on. So when we look at a theory of focus, that's one of the things we need. Constant reevaluation. The ability to constantly reevaluate. Another thing we need is the ability to openly define what is, what is going on. We need to be able to have objects and instances and show their connection, and they have to have properties, and those properties have to be able to be connected to the objects and instances in all different types of ways. What we need is compatibility and multi-variety. So we can't function with a two-value logic system, like true or false. There has to be a third open to our logic system. Under a true or false system, your turns are either true or false. And if one is, the other cannot be. Under a multi-valued logic system, and just opening it up to three is enough if you do it in this way. See, the opposite of truth in a multi-valued logic system is indeterminate, and the opposite of false, likewise, is indeterminate. So true and false are the determinate values, and all other values are indeterminate. Now we could put other types of determinations besides true or false, like in focus or out of focus, but for now all we need to deal with is true and false and indeterminate. It's very different when the opposite of wrong isn't right, and the opposite of right isn't wrong, but rather it's something that's unseen, undefined as of yet. Because it doesn't tell us what to do, it doesn't tell us how to act, it tells us where to start looking for more information, which is what we need. When we find a paradox in the world, we found, first of all, a piece of new information, 
But second of all, we found our knowledge lacking. Yeah, it's lacking. Big deal. There's nothing to get all up in arms about. There's nothing to worry about. If you feel like maybe all this is over your head, maybe you have no idea where I came from, where I'm going with this, stop it. It's cool. It's fine. You don't need to understand those things. They're going to keep you from just listening and hearing and focusing. And you don't even need to focus on me. You could focus on yourself. You could be going in your head, thinking about one thing I said 10 minutes ago. You're still going to get something out of this. Now, the theory of focus tells us that things don't change until we have information beyond the scope of how they were determined. Let me give you an example. The revolution of Galileo, when we came to understand that the sun was the center of our solar system, not the earth, was such a focus-driven revolution. It was a matter of having the supplies to see the universe from a different focus and having the information to compare it to, to show that there's inconsistencies. <clears throat> if you go outside and you look up at the sky, there's no way to tell whether the sun is in the center of the solar system or the earth is at the center, what's moving around or what, it looks the same. It looked the same to people when they believed that the earth was the middle of the solar system as it does to people when they believe that the sun is the middle. So what's the difference? What did Galileo do? He had a telescope. And he took it and he looked up in space and he saw that around Jupiter, there's moons. There's a bunch of heavenly bodies going around Jupiter. Well, when we tried to chart the heavens in the ancient times, and there was the sun, the earth, the moon, and the five planets, and the task was to set them all in motion, in a uniform motion, so we could chart them. They put them in concentric spheres, you know, the eight spheres, and everything was supposed to have perfect circular orbits, and you could calculate the distance and the possible gravities as best as they, you know, understood at that point. And they would do it in terms of proportions. And they came to have the belief that the heavenly bodies moved in circles. And this is what slowly was challenged over time. This is really what actually blew apart when Galileo observed that there were more than these eight heavenly bodies, that there were moons around Jupiter, and there were other things in the solar system, other planets. It all fell apart. There was no way for perfect circular orbits to make sense. 
that was it. If there's no perfect circular orbits, it's really hard to put the Earth in the middle. That was the change. You look at it differently. The orbits have to be elliptical. They have to be in some kind of oval shape. There's too many forces at play, too much pulling. So what changed things? What changed things was that with this new focus, this new information of lensed light reaching um, the eye and showing a different view of the solar system, that there was no way to keep the view consistent. It just, it changed so quickly, so much. I mean, you spend a thousand years working on a system for eight bodies in heaven, and you flush out all the mathematics, and all of a sudden you're gonna add 20, 30 more bodies? I mean, all the mathematics has already been flushed out to such advanced points that it really just blows the whole thing apart. And for people like Galileo, who had the data set, the focus, and the scientific information, it wasn't even a question. It was impossible to continually assert that the Earth is at the center and things are rotating perfectly circular, even though that's what it appears. If we go through our lives, and we find something doesn't make sense. We find it's lacking. We don't know. Sometimes we don't know why we're angry. Sometimes we don't know why we have feelings. Sometimes we don't know why we sabotage ourselves or why we reward ourselves or why we have our motivations. If there is something lacking, the theory of focus just tells us to look, tells us to analyze, and tells us to find different ways of focusing. And this is an external focus, like how a subject focuses on an object. There's another focus. There's how an object itself is internally constituted. For instance, there's a big problem in the philosophy of language and the philosophy of science casted by uh, William von Orman Quine, that if you go try to create a translation manual and you're with a remote tribe and they utter a word at a vestige of a passing rabbit, it's very hard to understand what they mean if they're saying tail, if they're saying rabbit parts, if they're saying rabbit, if they're saying, you know, rabbit in 3D manifold space, or if they're saying, look at this harmony that we call rabbit. There are so many different physical theories that you could put behind the vestige of a rabbit, behind an image, to explain how it became what it is. And with just a word, we can't understand the whole import the whole internal system. So besides for just the external focus, that there is 
of looking at something and understanding how we sense it, where we're sensing it from. There's the internal focus of what kind of theory are we constructing our understanding of it with. Now this kind of internal focus is the reason why philosophers in our time believe that language is private and internalistic because no matter what I try to communicate to you I would have to communicate to you the theory and functions how I put it together there's so much more than just a single word for description that goes into our reference and goes into our theory what does this all add up to? It adds up to, don't take anything for granted. Be fearless, but just be open-minded and analyze. Keep looking. Everything we say to ourselves, we have a very clear and distinct meaning for it. And if we keep saying something and you don't understand clearly and distinctly what it means to you, that's okay, that happens, but look at it, look at it. I used to sit working at my wage job talking about how much I just want to like kill myself. I didn't I wasn't talking about suicide. I wasn't I didn't want to die. I didn't want to, you know, be removed from the face of this earth. I wanted to quit my job. You know, and it's so easy to get miseries confused. It's so easy to make a functional problem, a behavioral problem, into an existential problem. Focus is something unlike truth that we bring along to remind ourselves of the various ways to look at things, the various ways things could be, and at the same time, that they are meaningful, that they are something, they're something to us, and it matters. So we remind ourselves, you gotta keep analyzing until you understand. You give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Nothing you say is meaningless. Nothing you do is not in your best interest. You just don't understand why, why you're doing it. For decades I refuse to compete, I refuse to argue, I refuse to produce any works, and I didn't understand why. And then I realized that when I was seven years old, I tried really hard to save my family because my parents were going through a divorce. My mom was a total monster and my dad was a run very confused person. Bless them both, whatever that means. But my attempts to make good out of that situation were met with violence and anger and for years and years and years, you know, my trying to make things better, to pursue a good life was just met with the horrors that could be this world fed to me, imposed on me directly by my parents. How are you supposed to even think in a situation like that? Get out of it. How are you supposed to understand 
what you're doing for yourself. And when I was a teenager, I understood a lot about myself, but I didn't understand certain things, like I would get in trouble every two years. Something, something, the law, and why, why? Because there was no attention being paid to certain things because I wasn't looking at it. I was shoving it down. I was repressing it. So I had to pull in drastically people to look to get myself to look. There's a lot better ways to deal with these kind of processes in our lives. We do ourselves a favor. You know, we take care of ourselves by exploring focus, by allowing focus to be the filter for us of reality that it is. Mm. We find ourselves a freedom, a freedom from the trapping of our minds. Your thoughts can't hurt you if they're just focuses. If they're scary, you're just not seeing what's in control. Fear is an illusion. It's created by a circumstance, usually by someone's will, to distract, you know, to inform, maybe even to motivate. But either way, there's nothing to be just afraid of. Generally, you're standing just in the middle of a field, enjoying your life or wherever, just in listening to this. And what is there to be afraid of when you start focusing on the world around you? Nothing. Nothing, really. Now, when you understand that there's a constructed element to all of this, and a continuous element to all of this, you gain a freedom, a freedom from that fear, a freedom from the possible hurt in your mind. You don't have to be hurt, you don't have to be afraid of ideas, and any time you're in doubt, the rule is explore, examine, try to solve the problem, try to do it for yourself. No matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, you have all the elements inside you, you have all the tools, they're there with you. Don't ever convince yourself that it has to come just from you and that you have to figure it out all by yourself. Let me tell you something. Every single word, every single philosophical term, every single emotion, everything we've discussed here today has thousands of years of import meanings from different cultures, meanings from different lives, meanings from different struggles between worlds that have been put upon it. It took a code book and a journey to even develop the languages we use today to communicate. And it's going to take a code book and a journey to understand clearly. So when you go to yourself, I've got to do this all to myself. I can't let other people in. I can't use other people's work. Forget that. There's nothing about your understanding of this world that isn't already muddied up with everyone else's, you know, understandings. It's all tied together. You have nothing to be afraid of.
you could get help from absolutely anywhere. The only time any of this even seems to matter is when it comes to profiting or calling rights or having something to leave behind for society. We don't care about any of that. We didn't care about truth. All we want to do is find betterness, goodness, a good life. And if what has to happen to have a good life is that we have to give up the preconditions, the grounds for things like intellectual copyright, big deal. Big, 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 big deal. That's a small price to pay. Not that we even have to. If you flush everything out, it's all doable. All the nominal things, all the nifty little things we want to construct as human beings. Constructible, true like we want them to be. And we could have them. It's all compatible. We're going to take a break from here. We're going to come back in our next installment on Focus. And we're going to spend some time understanding the kind of things that we go through in life we're going to hear from diana and the kind of things she's gone through in life and how focus has made it easier and better for her to think through her life to work to take care of herself you know and we're going to hear more from me and i hope as this stuff starts reaching you guys and as you take your time to go through this philosophical journey that you share what you're going through. I want to tell you here, I'm not here to be your expert or to be unquestionable. I'm just a person like any other person and I've been through bad things and good things and learned things and acted stupid and all that, all of it. So if I say humble yourself, it's not humble yourself in front of me. It's humble yourself in front of yourself. Welcome. Enjoy yourself. Life can just be good. I look forward to spending more time in this good life with each and every one and each and everything. And thanks for your time. And thanks for my time. And this was an interesting contact. An interesting way of trying to explore these ideas and help ourselves and help others and just be. This is part of the reality of focus. Let's hear what your part is. So how does focus for us in life? Welcome back to the reality of focus on the Making a Living from Philosophy podcast. I guess my story, my personal story is, you know, a little subjective like anyone else's would be. I had a pretty unique circumstance, although there's some degree of my circumstance in everyone else's life as there is some degree of everyone else's circumstance in my life. I had parents who were pathological liars. I had a very 
false kind of world and reality built around me and I became attracted to philosophy because when I went to study it in college in the first day of class in my first philosophy class I had the teacher in the class entertaining seriously the question of whether or not someone should jump out a 10-story window and this is the serious question just abstract for me anyways I was just uh, really intrigued that the subject takes so seriously any question to really think it through I wouldn't say to be a philosopher you need all these uh, technical understandings all these specifications it helps to have read everything out there, you know, and to understand every philosopher under the sun. But it's like going everywhere in a city or being everywhere on the map. It's not the most important thing and you won't remember every square inch of it. What is important is finding points, landmarks in your mind, relative points, things that matter to you and things that let's say you focus on now these things that you focus on the places you like to go in your mind there's a lot of between space and between subject matter and tons of other focuses that surround them and those may be more important to other people than they are to you that's not the point the point is that if you understand what surrounds what you're interested in, your focus, then you have some contact with it, you know, you have knowledge of it and you don't have to feel so estranged from everyone. I had to figure out quite a, you know, prison of mind. And I had to do a lot to figure it out and Ultimately, I had to accept things as they were. There's really no way to have solid definitions. And what I learned more than anything is how to tell when something is untrue or how to tell when someone's being dishonest. It's pretty simple. When they are trying to convince you that something is such something is real, something is so meaningful and so important, they're being dishonest. It's interesting because we're sitting here talking so passionately about focus and trying to find the reality of it and the meaning of it in the world. So aren't we being dishonest? But we have to draw a line. Investigation for the sake of knowing for the sake of understanding, for pure reasons, is not hypocritical, like justification. You know, for the sake of coercion, for the sake of even order out of chaos. I'm not saying it's necessarily bad, all I'm saying is it's hypocritical and the conclusions that you draw are wrong in and of themselves because they have to have authority that they're not capable of having to justify the behavior. 
I mean, this is just, you know, most systems. I sat there reading the introduction to a treatise of human nature to a nine, my beautiful nine-month-old son this morning, and go read what Hume said there, and he is sort of talking about the same thing in terms of saying that all the theories that have come up so far are foolishness. They take themselves so seriously, and they look for truth, and they don't understand that in doing so, they can't do it. I mean, and they shoot themselves in the foot. I, I, of course, was greatly influenced by Hume. What does it matter? You don't have to be, and you don't even have to read him. But we both have this understanding that science, the upper echelon of human reasoning, is an inductive science, right? It's an inductive logic. It's 99.9% certain at best, and there's always a measure of uncertainty. I mean, a not-so-trivial but sort of trivial example is that if you have 100 glasses on a table and you start picking them up one by one and throwing them at the ground and observing that they hit the ground and smash, and you observe this 99 times, and you go to throw the hundredth glass, and the surface of the earth is disintegrated, and somehow that glass manages to escape all the shrapnel and all the pressure waves and all that and just keeps floating into space, or is even disintegrated long before it hits the floor. It's just, it's not that if it didn't hit the floor, it wouldn't shatter, it's just that it's foolish to say when we drop the glass it'll hit the floor and shatter when there's so many mitigating circumstances that could come between that and we want to try to in logic clear up all those mitigating circumstances to say something is certainly going to happen and who are we to do so i mean what kind of foolishness is it to say well if nothing interferes with the process this is what's going to happen it's okay, you know, it might give you a program that works 9 out of 10 times. And that 10th time, you're frustrated sitting there trying to solve the problem in a new way. It's not perfection. And if you're expecting perfection, good luck. You're not going to really find it because it's not anything that's true. It's a made-up human concept. At best, maybe a regulatory idea. So what we end up getting through focus is a way to clearly define our world and also at the same time know that there is no absolute truth. I mean, is a focus an appearance? That's not what we call it. Is there room for appearances in a focus? Yes. There's an equation that defines a focus, and it's the equation in modal logic for a modal model. A modal model is consistent, basically, of frames, which are points in time, and objects, which are related somehow through the points in time, the frames, and then an evaluation, 
and then an ability to have countless counter evaluations. That's pretty much all you need for a model. Sounds great, right? What's the other thing? We know that a model is something that the human mind creates. It's not like um, an analog. An analog is something that's supposed to be exactly the same, you know, for all points identical, or even something digital, our kind of recreation that is exactly the same and approaches the infinite identical. But rather, it's something that we know that we created, a model, and that we hold it up to reality to understand reality. But it never really is that thing. It's something we get information from. There is a part of a model that is there in reality, and that is the part of the focus. But where is the focus coming? The focus is what a model can tell us is consequent in the world. Aha. So didn't we just say like it was stupid to be consequent? Well, it's stupid to be consequent in a way that is logically necessary. But a modal model wears its necessity on the inside and not on the outside. We understand that it's only necessary. <laughs> we understand that it's only necessary, only necessity in the mind of the modeler, in the mind of the person or thing that has attained that focus. And it's only necess... Really, it's only necessary to that end, to the end of that focus. So it's sort of bracketed, but not in the old phenomenological sense of we can't see past our own blinders. In the sense that, hey, we're looking in the microscope and we're understanding what's there and what's in the world compared to there. And when we stop looking in the microscope, and when we stop looking in the microscope, what we end up having is some kind of normal world around us. All we're doing is refusing to accept truth as a primary, refusing to accept truth as the real concept that's in the world that's going to bring us to understanding. It blows apart the rationalist agenda, it blows apart the empiricist agenda, it really does a lot of damage to the rationalist agenda, but not in any way that's, you know, not out there. I look at it this way, everyone gave up on that whole worldview when pragmatism came into the world. But pragmatism's a funny thing, because if we really, really think about it, there's times in life where it pays to just be imperialistic, to, you know, believe that our empirical evidence is the true thing, and not to be pragmatic, and there are times where pays to be rationalistic and put the pragmatism in the background. 
And we get to maintain our pragmatism because as long as we're switching between pragmatism and not getting stuck in those theories, we're still being pragmatic. It's okay. We were using the words in different ways anyways. This goes a step beyond pragmatism. And it puts rationalism and empiricism in a place where they need to be reformed. And they just need to be reformed in a simple way to fit into the frames. We just got to take the expectation of absolute truth out of them. We could still have reason. It's a human thing. It approaches, uh, well, the universe. But there's no reason that the universe in its course has to be all about realizing itself. There could be some other processes going along and happening. It's a nifty idea, and even if you proved it true under the theory of focus, it would just be its own certain scope. There'd be other things going on. Is the theory of focus itself true? It's not trying to be. It's really just trying to organize, collect information in the best possible way. It's a theory that just shows us how to map continue mapping, changing our style of mapping while we're living, while we're enjoying our world. I decided after our first episode, which is uh, 30 long minutes and says so damn much, that 15 long minutes that says so damn much is good enough. So we're gonna stop here. I still have a promise of bringing Diana forward with some examples. She'll be here soon. She really, um, she helped develop this theory with me as we grew up. So, um, it's very interesting to hear how she talks about these same things and how it's affected her life. Anyways, feel free to leave us voicemails, comments, anything. We will happily integrate you into what's going on here. Thanks for listening. Have an awesome day. Welcome to a beautiful sunny day. And this is the Making Living from Philosophy podcast. As promised, and as introduced by that nice vocal of hers, um, we have Diana here today. Hey guys. So, uh, yeah, you know, I'm not one for uh, structure when it doesn't need to be had. And I'm just going to let her do her thing and accompany her with some tasteful guitar. Because, uh, you know, Anchor's cool and all, but the musical capabilities aren't exactly the best of what you could do if you had some studio software. Anyways, no more rambling. Here she is. It's about focus, right? the reality of focus. So hey you guys, um, as Yona said, I'm going to be talking today about focus. Um, I will leave all the philosophy aspect of focus uh, talk for him. He'll address that in length and other um, podcasts. Um, he's done that already and he'll do more, I'm sure. Um, I wanted to talk about focus in terms of um, 
a cure. Focus as a cure, really, is what I want to talk about. Focus as a cure. Um, focus, you know, a lot of us are trying to get by. Actually, scratch that, we're all trying to get by. We're all trying to make the best out of life, and we're all trying to live the good life. Um, you know, some of us have stopped trying, but... You know, sometimes all we need is like a little reminder that we can. And this is where focus comes in. You know, focus is really a cure. And I say focus is a cure because it could be a cure for just malaise, life boredom, you know, depression, um, just loss of interest, you know. And it's a tool that's so accessible for us really all we have to do is just reach in and we could find it and what it means when I say focus is a cure for depression that means that you know we're living in an era of information an era of you know internet globalization um, there's so much information we're bombarded with you guys, like every day we get out of our house just to like even, you know, in the morning go get our coffee cup or, you know, even when you go grocery shopping, you know, there's so much going on all the time, you know. When you're in your car, you have to focus on the traffic, you know, if you have the radio, your cell phone, maybe a kid crying in the back, you know if you're going to school, if you're going to your work, like whatever you're doing, all walks of life, there's so much going on all the time, like around us. And it provi pro provokes in us. Speaking of which, you know, it's just all the time ongoing. Um, you know, it, it provokes and evokes in us these feelings, right? because we're human beings, we're social beings, and, you know, most of us are not, you know, nearly as connected socially as we should be. A lot of us don't have any friends. Um, we cut contact with our families, maybe. We try to just, like, kind of live like monks, maybe, but... You know, as much as we try to seek that, like, quiet, it's not accessible easily because of all the stuff going on all the time. And, and you know, our reactions to it, we feel these waves of emotions just, like, take us over. And, you know, next thing you know, you're just driving your car to get your coffee and you're just yelling at someone or cussing at them. And, you know, maybe your child's in the backseat and you, like, look at yourself and the, you know, back... the car mirror or whatever and you're like what the hell did I just do you know and the key to navigate life the key to like deal with all of this is focus you know focus okay I'm going to get my coffee now you know set your your goal like before your intention like they say in yoga set your intention like before you even step out you know before you even get in your car my husband always says you know when you're driving somewhere you always have to think like where am i going you have to have 
you know, a place in mind that you're going to. And then, you know, you, you would proceed by getting in your car and focusing on the task at hand, you know, i.e. driving in this example. You know, a lot of things could, like, take us away from that mindset, but, you know, practice makes perfect. If we keep trying to focus and we bring back our attention to the task at hand, you know, what am I doing right now? Right now I'm cooking. Right now I'm doing dishes. Right now I'm, you know, sitting here trying to gather my energy so I can wake up. You know, right now I'm resting, so when I wake up I could do great things. You know, focus. And when I say focus, I also mean you have to focus on yourself, in yourself, within yourself. So that means that, you know, sometimes the outside, like, um, you know, like the outside, uh, what do you call it? Like, uh, um, see, like right now I'm trying to talk and, and my <laughs> husband is playing beautiful guitar and I love the sound of it, but I find myself distracted when I'm trying to catch my thought with like the sound of it, you know? Don't stop, babe, I like it. <laughs> so it's like, you know, we have to make a conscious decision to like stay with ourselves and, and follow through. So all these outside disturbances are trying to detract our attention from what we're trying to do. And, you know, by doing so, we feel like, how many times, how many times have any of you guys went, like, you were excited about something and you went to your significant other, you know, hey, I, I was thinking about doing so and so, and then, you know, they were, they were not as excited about it as you were because, I don't know, um, let's say, maybe you're a girl and you're talking about makeup and he doesn't care about makeup or maybe you're a guy and you want to go skating and like your girlfriend or wife or whatever loves to skate but not as much as you do she just doesn't have the same passion for it and that's okay you guys because we're all different we're all unique and that's beautiful but the point is you know focus don't let that other person reaction like you know take you away from or take your ambition or like you know, um, dull your passion. It's okay. It's okay if the person you're talking to is not as excited about, you know, X or Y and Z or Z like as much as you are. It's okay because you want to explore that. So you go ahead and you focus on it and you explore what you want to do, you know, and that's why it's so important to love what you do in life because it's possible to focus and use our like human faculty of focus to focus on things we don't like but when it's not something like that's with your alignment of like the things you like to do it drains you out of energy and you have to use so much more energy just to kind of like talk yourself into doing what you're doing because you don't want to do it and and that's not good you guys because it also creates animosity within yourself it's possible to be upset with yourself you're mad at yourself you know you'll act out and and you know acting out is primarily first and foremost we're acting out to like ourself you know 
Like some people get worse if they're being watched, if they're fighting or bickering or yelling or even, God forbid, being violent or whatever. And if they're being watched, they'll get like worse and worse, you know, because like it just reminds us what we look like and it upsets us that we look like that and we like build the, weave the webs that we get tangled in, really. So don't let it get that bad. You know, don't let people talk you out of what you want to do and don't spend your life and time doing something you hate. There is no reason why you should do that. There is absolutely no reason, you know. There's definitely a way where there's a will, there's a way. And you can find a way to live the life you want step by step, little by little. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day or whatever. You know, I always tell my husband, anything that can happen overnight is like nothing good. Because anything that's good, it takes time, it takes, it takes, you know, focus. It takes focus. It takes focus and we have to choose focus. Like day by day, minute by minute, task by task, goal by goal, step by step, baby steps and focus. You know, we're instead of sitting like, you know, like I said, we're in an, we're in a, we're living in an era of like so much, like, even if you have an Instagram, you could go on your Instagram and you could just start looking at people, people's pictures, people's lives, people's like, you know, touched up, whatever, perfect looking things. And you're like, oh my God, I, I wish I could do this or I wish I could do that. Or God, I suck for not doing this or that. Or, you know, oh, tomorrow I'm going to do this or that. Or, you know, I'll do this. I'm going to do so much, but I'm going to do it later not now it's like okay it's great to look and you know get inspiration and everything but at the end of the day you know come back to your focus and come back to yourself and like you know start step by step like sometimes maybe just getting up you know i don't know take a shower or just like wash your face um you know get dressed you know, get dressed, don't just like stay in your PJs or like, if you have a job that you hate, you know, don't just keep going to that same job and torturing yourself, you know, at the same time, I'm not saying like, you know, if you're like responsible for like, you know, a family and stuff, you, you know, I'm not saying just like stop everything, like don't go to your job today because you hate it. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you come back home, you know, maybe build a new resume, maybe look at, you know, new opportunities, maybe even start like doing what it is that you like that you've been, you know, just like waiting to do and like putting, putting, um, uh, like, how, putting off, yeah, you're putting it off, you keep putting it off, stop putting it off, start with small steps, you know, like, what is it that you like to do, just do it do a little bit of it today and then a little bit to tomorrow and then you know I have this little piece of art that's hanging on my wall and it says you know I built it and they came you know I think that's how the saying goes but I don't care because the point is that you know you have to build something you have to build this like world that you want to you know be the change you want to see like focus and do it and you could focus and you can do it 
and you know you will feel so much better you won't be at odds with yourself anymore you know if you're depressed you'll start coming out little by little and seeing the sun and seeing life for what it is you know a beautiful place where we could achieve so much through focus you know and do do exercises meditate whatever you feel like helps you you know for me it's like a lot of things but i struggle with like starting so it's not what you can do it's what you're like doing like so you know instead of sitting there and thinking like where you should start just start somewhere because i know how to do so many things and i'm always like okay what should i do now should i do this or not just do something you know they have a saying where i'm from one bird in your hand is better than 10 birds on a tree and like it means like you know when it's like when you're doing it you're in pocket you're you you're doing it and um you know good luck you guys and like for Yona focuses through philosophy so he's pretty awesome you're pretty awesome Thank and you. that was awesome well long anticipated and certainly to return to tell us more there's uh, one more segment coming at you for this the reality of focus uh, episode and then join us next week for um I believe it's uh, Dying for the Truth is going to be our next week's episode. And uh, that should be damn enjoyable. I won't explain anything about it now. Well, um, thanks for joining us for another philosophical journey. Have a wonderful day. Hi, this is Yona on the Making a Living from Philosophy podcast. Back with the final installment of... The reality of focus. So in conclusion, meaning what is just most important to take away from all this is the place of focus, really, the place of focus in our lives. I've been saying for a very long time that focus is the superpower of humanity. Realistically speaking, it is the power of humanity. It really is. It's the power of consciousness. If it isn't the power of humanity, which that's such a vague thing to say, what it is, is it something that shows us where the power of humanity lies, and that's in the ability to more adequately describe and understand and comprehend the world. Being than anything around us. I mean, so many things around us have different levels of sense. Plants, you know, have a sense of the sun. Animals have all different kinds of senses and forms of communication and ways of making sense of the world. And some of them are incredibly powerful, and I guarantee you all of them benefit from focus and have systems sort of like our adrenal system, if not an adrenal system that 
brings focus to their, you know, physical being. Focus equals success in the world of nature. It does. It really does. And what equals success in the realm of humanity more than anything else is the tools to understand. What we deal with has been (laughs) described just before our time and in our time in the philosophy of science, I guess at first by William James, as a blistering, buzzing confusion. I mean, it's not really that, but you could see how a psychologist would want to say that everything's so crazy out there that our mind's trying to put it together. There's so much that comes at you in this world. Think about the English language and the dialects of the English language in America and the slang. And in America, in English, anything that is communicable, anything that <laughs> is able to go from one person to the other, it's so does not matter if it follows proper grammar and if the words are anything in any dictionary anywhere. If it said something and the person was meaning to say it in English, it is properly well-formed English and it's understood and it's allowed. I mean, that trend in our culture is actually a commentary it's it's a sign that all of us treasure this open focus it would be no you know great mystery as to how we got here most people agree that the american philosophy is pragmatism and this is a view on how American lives have had to play out, especially since the Civil War, since there was fracturing politically in the country, and families are divided, and family values are no longer paramount, paramount, and religious values aren't paramount. What we have, if not some exaltation of money, is an appreciation for the ability to take the world as it comes and understand it in as broad and as useful ways as possible. The American philosophy at this point might as well be a deep appreciation for the need of focus. Something that is bigger than, you know, any other aspect of focus, except maybe how, you know, cherishable and prized it is in, you know, humanity and how much it could do for us, is that it's not like um, truth or reason. No one is going to come along and say that the process of the universe is the process of the universe. Focusing, 
on itself and realizing itself and becoming clearer on focusing on itself and that is the ends and means of the universe. You know, there needs be no crazy Hegelian theory of focus. There need be no idealism that comes out of focus. Focus is a construction. That's why it's compatible with everything, because it's built. It's built out of what's ready at hand, you know? It's built out of what's in the world. These two things that are mutually exclusive and jointly exhaustive, for example, these exemplar things that have those properties, both exist at the same time, you know, in the world. We're describing them at the same time, even though by nature they're not supposed to be able to be there. They exclude each other. They can't be there together, and they exhaust. They're all that is. But since we're not talking about truths or things that are absolute reason, rather we're just talking about things that are plain to see by focus and not see visually, but plain and clear to knowledge by some focus, we're understanding that what we're getting is not some supreme plan from God or some ultimate truth or something that we could take to the bank. In this case, the bank being the afterlife. (laughs) But rather, something that we could, you know, draw from to understand the here and now. Really, really kind of drawn-out way of saying it, (laughs) but when you try to make the point, as I am, that focus, the ability to describe, the ability to understand, has become of paramount value in our society, it's okay. It's okay to elaborate a little bit, because... One part of focus is that it has to be as compact as called for, but the other part of it is that it has to be as robust as called for. It's an interesting equilibrium. And it's so powerful. And it's not truth. If two of them disagree, they are combined into a third focus that says they exist and disagree. As simple as that. Compatibility is a wonderful thing for humanity. The reason why focus is so desirable, an extension of the fact that it leads to this broad understanding, is it gets rid of the privacy of language, which when the philosophical world turned away from ideas and over to language, which is the most recent biggest paradigm shift that we've you know seen, is people looking at language instead of ideas. When this happened, 
when that happened, it was understood that words have this problem because they're still associated to ideas, but when we understand them as primary, they have this problem that they're private. They refer to something in the head, in the mind, in the conception of the user of the words. There's a very famous little uh, experiment um, example, conceptual example given by Ludwig Wittgenstein, no other than, called The Beetle in the Box. And if you imagine a room full of people with no shared language, maybe even never talked before, but have come together to do this, and they all have a box in their lap with a view portal, and when they look down in it, they see what you and me would probably definitely agree on as a beetle. And they all, you know, begin saying words. Words that, to them, signify beetle. And these people go and they try to understand what is in everyone else's box. You know, do they have the same thing? Is what they're saying signifying the same thing? Crazy situation, but when it comes down to it, all we're asking is when we go and communicate to someone, is there any ability for us to really share the object of our communication to really make a reference to something? And is there any ability for us to impart the form of our understanding to that person? The most famous conjecture that says no as an answer is that because the person doesn't have the same um, world experience, they couldn't possibly understand us. And the most extreme form of this is believing that someone who hasn't grown up in your shoes, had your exact life experiences, could never possibly understand you. And many of us in life stumble into this where we start telling ourselves that no one understands us or knows what we're going through. And it's because... There's this privacy in language, and we actually reserve the right to do that. But is it right? Is it correct? And is it beneficial? Well, when we go for an answer via focus, it tells us that it may or may not be right. It certainly seems right if we limit our understanding to the one in the example and to the understanding we have under the philosophy of language. It seems right. But it seems that there's also ways to craft theories that don't land us there. Another way to look upon that problem and to say that yes, the things, the words, they are communicable, but they're not clearly communicable, is that we all, you know, refer then back into our heads to our own picture of what's in the box, and we give ourselves a guaranteed assurance of the other person's understanding 
through investigating the other person and, you know, what they could possibly mean. In the end, that process is, you know, inductive. It's not 100%. It's certainly more open-minded, but it still doesn't get us away from the privacy of language. Focus gives us a key to broadly understanding whatever comes our way. It doesn't pretend to break the privacy of language. Rather, it asks us all to provide our communications in a way that's transparent, in a way that doesn't have any privacy to it. I mean, what if everyone in that room plainly, you know, drew, sketched, maybe even spent a hundred years developing the best mimetic, you know, copy of the world art techniques possible and then drew a sketch for each other. I mean, there was, there's ways if you sit in that room for long enough, if you come up with enough agreed definitions and conventions there's ways for communication to be not only just natural, because obviously that's possible, we all experience every day, but there's ways for communication to be formalized and not private, but rather purely public. Because what happens is most of us in our lives, um, we lack the out-and-out -out confidence, and we take it personally because it seems so private and so upon us. So we want to always reserve the right to have an out. We always want to be able to stick by our version of the truth because there's punitive, there's, you know, so many ways to be damaged and so many ways that the world will take hold of you and take power over you. You know, if you lose your focus, if you allow it. It's not all anyone's fault. It's not all anyone's responsibility. I personally feel responsible to myself to be well-focused. It doesn't mean I'm in focus all the time. I love to really rest. I love to really sleep. I, I generally believe in safety and peace. I'm not afraid of the dark anymore. I don't think that, you know, anyone's really going to break into my home randomly in the night. And if it does happen, you know, I don't take it personally unless I know that I did something to contribute to it. Anyways... The fact of the matter is, it's no longer an issue of confidence, you know, and I don't, I don't want an out. I'm happy, personally, accepting what most people would call failure or wrongness, because I don't see it that way. I don't accept truth. I don't accept failure. I don't accept wrongness. These are... Even 
Further, these are private things. These are things that even if I try to accept them and try to fit the conventional definitions of I'm just still going to be acting, you know, my private feelings out, they're not going to help me. I accept more formulated, more functional things. Um, you know, understanding, communication, um, society, community, hell, even government. I think most of our problems with government is that we don't take part in it, and then we feel cheated by it, and then instead of taking part of it, to get our way, we lash out. It's very hard not to, you know, feel victimized by the will of the masses. But if you haven't figured out your will in that area, and certain people have, you have no grounds to stop them just like they have no grounds to force you. There's this silly... Um, <laughs> Conjecture, this is what always made me laugh in social and political philosophy. This silly shit that says, excuse my language, by the way, that says that if you, um, if you bring someone under the rule of your constitution, under the rule of law, and they didn't want to be brought under the penumbra of your constitution, the rule of your law, but because of the territorial concerns, because of some, say, political concerns, you bring them under anyway and extend to them, you know, your constitution of a state, you owe them damages. You owe them some kind of duty beyond just establishing your society around them. You know, something to make up for their loss, for being able to self-determine, for being able to do what they ultimately would have formulated. I mean, rarely does this happen, but in some abstract thought, socially and politically, you cannot rule over someone without giving them some kind of, you know, return on their um, entrapment. I mean, you're supposed to grow up and sign into the uh, country, agree to the Constitution. I mean, even though your parents agreed for you when you were born, when you grow up, you're supposed to agree. You know? And those of us who are at odds with that, it's very hard in this country. No one's going to just, you know, give you a rebate for drawing you under the penumbra of law. And there's a great feel feeling of social injustice, along with other ones, you know, along with the privacy of language. It's not good to skip all this. It's good to understand that all these are constructions, constructions of persons. They're not necessary. There's other ways of doing it. I would have loved to just flush all those thousands of years of philosophy down the drain, just 
build something from the ground up without any clue of how to do it myself, you know, it would have been so exciting. But no, not really, you know, and I'm still capable of doing it after taking in those thousands of years of philosophy. It's fine to understand what's wrong. What's not fine is to think that what you're doing is just perfectly right without reproach. It's right because it's the best thing you know to do. It's right because you're acting on the totality of all your information. But it's not right in and of itself unless you meant to do something right in and of itself and crafted your action in that way. Things are what they pretend to be, what they want to be, when the road to get to that thing is taken, when the logistics is done, when the steps involved are taken. Things could be whatever you want them to be when the focus is clear and the logistics are followed. That's the beauty of focus. That it's not about true or false. It's about constructed or non-constructed. It's about actual, possible, or impossible. It's about necessary or contingent. It's about all these modes. The integration of what is called the intentional with an S, right? <laughs> that is everything that is a judgment of the human mind. Necessity is a judgment of the human mind. Temporality is a judgment of the human mind. The connection of one time to another. Properties of objects, objects themselves as objects, are a mode of the human mind. So anything that's intentional, that is of the mind, you know, is the subject of focus and the subject of modal logic. And these things, when understood as subsuming truth, that is, as more broad and well-defined than truth itself, are so very powerful and help us understand anything that comes our way. I know that was all really technical and complicated. My hope is that as I've listened to many things in my life over and over again, to spend my time focused on that subject, whether or not I listen to the actual author or do my thoughts, that you will find this equally valuable for your time, whether you just have it going in the background or whether you're strictly focused on it, picking it apart, trying to find problems with anything I've said. Or if you're just not even talking about it and going and using parts of it to talk to your friends, I don't care. 
Pretend you came up with it. Hell, if you could explain it, if you know it, if you understood the construction, as far as I'm concerned, you own it too. Either way, love, enjoyment, peace, prosperity, anything you put into focus, and all the best for you. This has been an amazing start and first episode, and we're going to keep going. I would love to have interactions with any and all of you. I would field any questions from the most trollish to the most uh, set-up, perfect volley questions. <laughs> so hit me up, voicemails, here on uh, Anchor Messages. We could include you in the podcast. You could hit us up on uh, Twitter, Facebook, you know. Yona and D on Instagram or at Tolan's Modus on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I love y'all. I really, um, I know it sounds cheesy, but I believe not that you should force your theories on each other, but I believe that if you construct a theory, that allows you to have a good life. It should take into effect the fact that when you walk out your door, there's a bunch of other people who may or may not be having a good life. And you want to, you know, foster a space of goodness and freedom and pursuit of goodness. Anyways, tap, 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 tap out for submission I think we've had enough but just in case you haven't next week which actually at this point is pretty much tomorrow join us for episode 2 dying for the truth bye bye